the Sunday Sermons Podcast. So from time to time, uh, people ask us where the name Morrison Hill Christian Church comes from. And uh, I think they think like there's Mars Hill Baptist and there's Calvary Baptist. Maybe there's a Morrison Hill in the Bible and there isn't. This is just the physical mountain that we're on in the physical location. This is where we are. But because Morrison Hill is our name, I, I, we, we try to note sometimes the various references that are in the scriptures where Jesus said, for example, that we should be like a city on a hill, make his love and his light really obvious to people. Our youth group is called The Hill for that reason. Um, and, and I think it's worth noting that for whatever reason, throughout the scriptures, a lot of really significant things happen on hills and mountains. It, 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 the Ten Commandments were given to Moses upon a mountain. Uh, Abraham almost sacrificed his son on a mountain. Um, Elijah experienced God in a very intimate way, the gentle whisper in his ear up on a mountain. I could go on and on. And in the New Testament, we've got Jesus that for whatever reason, at several significant times, took people up on a mountain. I'm not sure if it was better better acoustics, better view. I'm not sure why, but it's kind of just something to note, mostly because that's where we're going to start the story today. And this is the next to the last in a series called 316. So we're going to start with Mark 316, and then we're going to zoom out like we have been doing and see what the word says, not just those one verse. But Mark 3.16 says, there are, these are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. And then there's a whole bunch of them that it starts listing. But the verses right before that, it tells us what's going on here, why Jesus is choosing them. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, they might send, that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. So he had a lot of people that were following him, a lot of people that he wanted to follow him, but these were the 12 that he chose with some extra responsibility and some extra intimacy with him. I think it's really significant to notice that these guys were not celebrities of the day. They were not respected people. He didn't choose people that he thought, man, if I get that guy on my team, everybody will start paying attention to me more. These guys were kind of outcasts, and so many of them, and they were not really like Jesus at all when they got started. I think that's why they start with Peter as the first one listed. But then it goes on through, and you think about Matthew, he was a tax collector, Simon was a zealot, which is an, a violent kind of political activist of the day. And several of them were fishermen. You could go down the list. But if, the, if there's anything they all have in common, here, here's, here's one thing I know for sure. They left all of that behind to follow Jesus. Matthew wasn't a tax collector anymore. He was a Christ follower. Simon was no longer a zealot. He was a Christ follower. Peter and James and John and Andrew were not fishermen They were Christ followers. And this is what we're called to do. Little by little, we leave everything behind and little by little, we become more like Jesus. That's always been his dream. And when we love like Jesus, when we little by little start to actually become like him, not just the first day where we give it all to him and say, here, it's all yours. But day after day after day, as we continue to surrender, we start to really get it more. 
And that's my dream. That's my prayer for us this morning. I don't think there's probably very many things I'll say today that you've never heard. But I hope that the Spirit takes it to a deeper level. I hope you get it how foundational this is. That if we miss what we're talking about today, we miss everything about what Jesus was teaching us. When we love like Jesus, we surrender our right to be selfish. We can't be selfish anymore. It's not about us anymore. It's about Jesus. We don't, it just doesn't work in his kingdom to do it the way Americans do it, the way humans do it in every other country around the world. We think we have a right to be selfish. We think that it's all about number one and we always know who we're talking about, right? Number one is not the person next to you, it's you, right? That's how we are, but that's how humans naturally are. But we give that up when we follow Jesus because in his kingdom, giving is more valuable than receiving. Serving is better than being served. We love not because somebody deserves our love, but because love is the right thing to do. We give not because somebody deserves the gift we're giving them, because giving is the right thing to do. This is how Jesus's kingdom works. This is why he tells us to love our enemies, to pray for those who hurt us. Matthew 5, up on a mountain again. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. That would be the 12 plus a whole bunch of others. And he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And everything else he said just is shocking them. We walked through some of this a couple weeks ago. We'll keep coming back to this. It's a pivotal sermon. But this morning, I'd like you to notice, not only is he telling them very active, very practical, tangible, good things he expects them to do, the righteousness of God, to actually live out the righteousness of God. He's also saying things like, blessed are the meek. It could also be translated as gentle. Meek people aren't wimps. They're people who choose not to assert themselves because they're trying to help someone else. He said the meek are going to inherit the earth, not conquer it, not take it by force, but they're going to get it. He said, blessed are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. And this idea of mercy, we'll come back to that again because it's way deeper than just not punishing somebody for hurting you in the moment. But in this same sermon, Jesus said so many shocking things like this, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That doesn't sound very comforting to me, does it you? That's like being a kid at school and you get bullied and they go, yeah, well, the bully, he bullies everybody. Welcome to the team. That doesn't make it me like it anymore. So, hey, so I'm being treated the way the prophets were. That doesn't make me happy. But Jesus is not talking about rights here. He's not talking about feeling better about yourself and the pain you're going through. He's saying it doesn't matter about you anymore. You do what you're supposed to do, period, just like the prophets did. God gave them a message, they deliver it. It's not about how people responded to it, it's they had to deliver it. And that's how we are too. 
Jesus goes on. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. There's several verses in the Bible that are a little bit hard to understand. This is not one of them. It's just hard. If we don't forgive others, he won't forgive us. Period. That's kind of scary. But he's asking us to forgive others, not because they deserve it. We don't deserve it either. We forgive because it's the right thing to do. And we've been forgiven. James is Jesus' half-brother. James and, uh, was Mary and Joseph's son. One of the ones we looked at last week that came and tried to stop him in the middle of his ministry. But he came back around. And in his book, he says this. James 3.16. For where there are jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Let me read that one more time. Make sure I'm on the same version. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. In other words, selfishness is the exact opposite of righteousness. The way Jesus calls us to live, it's not going to always make sense and it's not going to be easy because it's not meant to. He says, accept that living this way, loving Giving, forgiving, serving, that's just what you do, period. We sacrifice our right to be selfish. And the second thing that happens is we start to sacrifice our lives for others. I want to clarify that word really quickly because there's two distinct ideas of sacrifice in the scripture uh, that thread their way through. One is the idea of offering a sacrifice to appease God or to pay for sin. And for us now, thank God, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is the last one that needed to be made. We don't have to earn salvation anymore. We don't have to do things because we want to appease God. But Jesus called us into a lifestyle that follows his lifestyle, follows his heart, that did the things that he did. And to sacrifice in this sense, the biblical sense that we're exploring this morning, is to pay whatever it costs to do the right thing. To sacrifice is to, do, to give more than is comfortable, to do more than is comfortable. To, it's something that costs you. It's not easy. It's not about you. It, you, you. What you're getting out of it isn't even part of the equation anymore. It costs us everything, but it's worth it. In all the Gospels, when it tells the part of the story where Jesus uh, finally gets through enough to the disciples that Peter and the others start saying, hey, I believe you're the Messiah. I think you're the one. Right away, he starts saying, yep, you're right, and I'm going to die. And they freak out. They, each one of the gospel writers tells it just a little bit different. Everyone does that and then follows it up with this teaching from Jesus in one way or another. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself 
Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? How many have ever heard the story of the Good Samaritan? You've heard this one? It's one of the most popular, well-known stories of Jesus. And you probably also know that it's kind of a story within a story, the way the scriptures give it to us. Somebody came to Jesus, asked some questions, and Jesus answered with that story. But just to make sure we're all on the same page, let me briefly walk through that one more time. An expert in the law comes to Jesus and he, he's trying to trick Jesus. He's trying to get Jesus to say something that he could get him in trouble for. But he comes to him and he says, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to get eternal life? What do I have to do so that God is happy with me? And Jesus kind of knowing this guy is an expert in the law, kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. He says, I'm going to keep the commandments. And the guy says, yeah, yeah, okay. So love God with everything and love my neighbor as myself. So now he's acting like a real lawyer and he says, so who is my neighbor? Who's the one that I have to treat as well as I treat myself? Who, who, I mean, it can't be everybody. It can't be everybody. It's got, who, who am I responsible for? Who's got a, God going to hold me accountable for treating that way? And Jesus tells him that story. Oh, well, let me tell you a story. There's a guy, he's going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He gets beat up. They take everything from him, even his clothes. They leave him for dead. And some guys walk by that you'd expect would help. They're religious people, but they walk on by. The third guy comes by, somebody you'd expect would be a enemy. But that person helps him. And at his own expense, lets him ride his own donkey, takes him, puts him up so he has shelter, bandages his wounds with the stuff that he has for himself, the stuff he had brought on the trip for himself. And Jesus says, so which one of those was a neighbor to the guy on the road? As always, Jesus flips that script. It's not, how, what do I have to do so that God will be happy with me? What do I have to do so that other people think I'm a good neighbor? He's like, what do you have to do to be a good neighbor to others, whether they respond or not, no matter what they think about you or expect from you? You just have to figure out what you need to do. Jesus says, go and do likewise. The Greek word Elios is a really cool one. It's the one that's translated in several places, one of which we already looked at called mercy. But it's deeper than mercy. When I, in English, when I think of mercy, I tend to think of just an immediate response. If somebody punches me in the face and I punch them in the face, that sounds like justice, right? Okay? And and it's not, I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. I'm saying that's the natural human tendency. Somebody punches me in the face and I refuse to punch them in the face. That's mercy, right? And it is, but it's deeper than that. In in the scripture, sometimes it's translated as compassion. Sometimes it's translated other ways because it's a deeper concept. It's getting in that moment that you're the kind of person who would naturally punch somebody in the face just like that person is. And you extend them the grace that you would hope somebody would extend you if you were the one who messed up. 
It's a deeper idea. It's not just about knee-jerk reactions. It's about a perspective on life. It's extending mercy that you've been given, forgiving as you've been forgiven, Um, showing grace the way you've been shown grace. And Jesus actually quotes uh, several passages from the Old Testament talk about mercy and sacrifice. He does it several times. In Matthew's account, he quotes it in both Matthew 9 and Matthew 12. You see the concept in the Old Testament a couple places. Here's two. Hosea 6 verse 6 says, For I desire mercy, and that's that word, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. But this kind of mercy could also be translated as the kind of sacrifice we talked about earlier. It costs you something. It costs you something to extend grace and forgiveness. God doesn't really like the sacrifices that we just go through the motions and offer a sacrifice as much as he likes it when we actually sacrifice ourselves for him and for others. Do you see the difference? This means yes, this means no. I can, I can fix it if you don't understand. Hopefully you do. Micah, in verses six through eight, he is, he's elaborating on that same thing. Verse eight says this, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Which leads us to our big theme verse today. You, everybody knows John 3.16. This one today is 1 John 3.16. It says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Would you say that out loud with me? By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Paul makes it really clear in Philippians 2 and several other places. We follow this example of Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in his very nature God, you've heard that passage, right? This is, this is not something that's just one or two places. This is Christianity. This idea that we surrender our right to be selfish. We sacrifice our lives. We sacrifice for God and for others. It's just Christianity. It is what it means to follow Jesus. The third thing that we're looking at this morning that this includes is that we have to submit. I don't like that word. I don't know about you. I don't like to submit to anything. I don't like rules. I don't like authority very much. I, I'm, not, I'm not about, that's not really how I like it. But I'm telling you, we have to. And, the, and at the heart of whatever other kind of truth there is in the scriptures about whom we need to submit to, I need you to understand that it's all rooted in this. We submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. Jesus didn't submit to us. He didn't die on the cross for us because we were better than him, because we were smarter than him, because we somehow deserved it more than he did. He did it because he loved us and it was the right thing to do, is what he wanted to do. It had nothing to do with our worth. 
And same thing, when Jesus asked us to submit to someone, to sacrifice for someone, to forgive someone, it's not about whether they deserve it or not. It's not whether, about whether they're actually better or smarter than we are. It's about, are we going to do what Jesus calls us to do or not? That's the heart of submission in the scriptures. We submit to one another, we serve one another, we team up with each other, which requires a lot of mutual submission so that we can serve the world around us. This morning, uh, there's a beautiful passion. Let me try this one more time. It's a beautiful passage in Colossians chapter three. I'm just gonna read it straight out. Thank God now in this second service, you can see it in the, on the screens the whole time and everything. We cut the tail end in the first one. But it's going to wrap up in one that we memorized a couple of weeks ago. So if you already have it memorized, you can just close your eyes at that point or just not look or you can cheat. I don't care. But this is the context of Colossians 3.16 that we memorized a little bit. And I love how it summarizes not only what we're talking about today, but where we've been so far on this journey these foundational truths we've been looking at. Paul writes, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion. And that word passion, it doesn't mean just don't be passionate about anything. It's, it's kind of an ungodly passion. It's more like addiction is what that, that word would mean. Evil desire, covetousness, all of which are idolatry. He goes on, on account of all these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew. Let me pause for a second. When he says here, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. I hope and pray, and I do believe that that's Morrison Hill, but it's not just Morrison Hill. Here is wherever people actually get it. It's wherever people actually surrender everything to Jesus, when they actually sacrifice everything for him and for others, where they actually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When that happens, when that happens on a fundamental level, not just on the level of, yeah, I believe that's what that means. I believe that's the right thing to do. That's how we live. When that happens, we live in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what he means by here. And here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. There's that mercy, compassion, empathy thing again. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. 
As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. You ready? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is where you say it with me and hopefully memorize it. If you don't, you can cheat all you want. Just say it with me. Ready? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Again, if you want to see the other stuff the Bible says about all of this stuff, some places we'll eventually get to again, Romans 13, Ephesians 5. But I think the key really to understand it one more time is Ephesians 5, 21. We'll put that on the screen in a second, but I'm just going to say it right here. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the key. Even after following Jesus for three years, James and John brought their mom, or maybe it's the other way around. One way or another, their mom and them came to Jesus toward the end of his ministry, almost about to where he's going to go and die and come back to life for all of us. They come to him and the mom says, hey, when you come into your power, when you come into your kingdom, I'd like these guys to be your right hand and your left hand man. Can you make that happen? And Jesus says, This is the John Pryor paraphrase. You don't know what you're asking. No. (laughs) That's basically what he tells them. You just don't get it at all. You've misunderstood the whole thing if you're even asking me for that at this point. I think one of the best ways Jesus ever showed us what this lifestyle, what this love looks like was when he washed their feet. And it was the very night that he actually was arrested the night that he was put on trial. It started the whole process of him being beaten and crucified and all that. That same night when he celebrated the last Passover with them and the first communion with them, that same night it starts out and here's Jesus that they've been respecting and following the whole time. Takes off his outer garments, which was probably a little bit awkward. And then he starts washing their feet, which is incredibly awkward. And I think most of us really identify with Peter in that story where we're like, ah, no, let's not. Let's do something else. Maybe our feet can stay dirty. Maybe flip the script. Maybe I'll wash your feet, Jesus, but this is just weird. But he does it. He makes it happen. And he washes all of their gross feet. And then he puts on his outer garments again. He says, if I, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, so you also should wash one another's feet. And they all got that, yeah, sometimes that could literal, literally be a cool ritual you could do sometimes, but that's not really what he was trying to say. He was, it was a metaphor, it was a symbol. I'm at the top, but I'm acting before you as the lowliest of servants. I could be demanding all of you guys to bow down to me and instead I'm on my knees washing your nasty feet. And that's how you need to treat each other. It's not about what everybody else deserves or who's smarter or who's better. It's about 
we in the kingdom of God, we surrender our right to be selfish. We sacrifice everything for others. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I don't know what God's calling you to do this morning, but I'm asking you to respond in a tangible way. We're going to stand, we're going to sing, but I'm asking you to figure out some, something. Just listen. You don't even have to figure it out, but I bet you the Spirit is telling you there's something that you haven't surrendered. Maybe to God, maybe to someone else. There's something you're being selfish about that he'd like you to let that go. I'd love for you to be able to just let it go this morning. Maybe there's something that you know that he's calling you to give or to do or to stop doing and you're just, it feels too costly. It's too much. I'd love for you to sacrifice that this morning. Be willing to just do that. Maybe, maybe there's something that you're just struggling you can't submit to. One of God's laws or some other person. I, I don't know what it is. That's between you and him. But this is what it looks like. This is what the love of Jesus looks like. And I'm, I invite you to experience it to the full this morning. I'm not saying you don't get this at all. I'm saying all of us need to take another step deeper. Or at least give the spirit a chance to invite us into that. Let's stand, let's sing, let's make some choices in his direction.